0: Philippians chapter number 1, I want you, as, as you have your Bible open today, as you hear the message today, I'm asking everybody in the church to have one of these cards out, have it on your Bible, have it sitting there, look at it, let it look at you, let the blank look at you. I'm going to talk about what we're going to do with these cards as I preach the sermon today, but needless to say... As our custom has been at River City Baptist Church since I've been here, once a year we come together and we consider what God would have us do in the coming year for the Great Commission and that is a financial investment. It is a partnership in the gospel and I'm going to explain to you this morning how things are going to be done differently in the future and I hope you'll get excited about it. I'm going to present to you something radical, something that I am not aware of. That any other church that I've ever met, and I've been to 500 churches, I am not aware of any other church that is doing what I'm presenting to you to do today. So we're going to do something radical. and But we have to do it together. And so, I want to read Philippians chapter 1. I'm only going to read verse 12. I'll focus on a few other verses in a moment, but I want to I read this verse And then I'm going to read it also in the English Standard Version because it says something that I really want you to catch. But but read it first here. Listen to this. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Amen. In the English Standard Version, it says this. Listen to this. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And that's what I want to speak to you about this morning. Advance the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is our prayer that you will speak to our hearts loudly today. Be a megaphone in a muted world about this topic. Give us grace and strength to receive it and give us the sacrifice, the willingness, and the energy to perform the things that we have heard. For these things we pray in the mighty and worthy name of Jesus. Amen. I hesitate to use this illustration for fear that you might actually think that I like Star Trek. Which I don't. Andy does, though. We were talking the other day. So yeah, I was watching Star Trek and I thought, oh, he's gonna love this. Captain Kirk would sometimes find himself in dire straits, separated from the enterprise and in loss of communication. When he would re-establish communication with someone on the ship and he was asked concerning his well-being, he would be noted to say, Never mind me. What about the ship? His primary concern was over the ship and its well-being. That's really what is happening in Philippians chapter number one. The book of Philippians is written for two primary reasons. Number one, it was written to say thank you to a church that had sacrificially given so that this church could carry out its mission. And you find that heavily in chapter number four. The second predominant reason that the book was written was that Paul was giving the church an update of his circumstances. Now, Philippians is nestled into a series of four books in the Bible that have been labeled by some prison epistles. Meaning, each of these four books was written by Paul from prison. And it's intriguing, really, when you think about it. Here's a man who has been arrested. He is a man who is not in some federal prison in the United States of America, receiving three meals a day, and education, and GED, and all those kinds of things. Not saying it's necessarily easy, but there's no comparison to what Paul was going through. Ultimately, Paul would die having served his final years in this prison, but this actually was his first Roman imprisonment. And evidently, as people had come to visit the Apostle Paul, and uh, they requested that the church carried a burden to understand how Paul was doing. And so, on this particular occasion, he writes them to tell them how he's doing. After his introduction, which is in verses 1 through 11... Where he prays for the church, where he greets the church, right in verse number 12, he gets right down to business as to why he wrote the letter. So he says, I want you to understand, brethren, you asked about me, so I want you to understand that the things that have actually happened to me really served to advance the gospel. Essentially, what Paul was saying is forget about me, what about the gospel? I know you're concerned that I've went to prison here, but here's the good news. Because I am in prison, the gospel got further down the road than it would have gotten had I not been in prison. In other words, what he's saying is this. It's all good. I am where I am. I'm experiencing what I'm experiencing. I'm suffering what I'm suffering, but it's not a big deal because here's the bigger deal. The bigger deal is that the name of Jesus Christ was preached in places it otherwise would not have been preached. Now, this is what should be obvious to you, church. What should be obvious to you is that you would not be able to share the sentiments of Paul unless you had the same belief as Paul. Nobody would rejoice in adversity. Nobody would rejoice in prison. Nobody would rejoice in cancer or loss Unless they believed that God was serving the greater purpose of getting the gospel out to the world through whatever circumstance I may find myself in. Meaning, as long as we know that whatever I'm going through and whatever place I find myself, when I get there and when I go through it, Jesus Christ will be known in a greater way then I can rejoice in every circumstance I'm in because after all, my joy is not in my health, my joy is not in my money, my joy is not in my home, my joy is not even necessarily in my family. My primary joy is in the good news of Jesus Christ. And as long as that message is getting preached around the world, then it really doesn't matter what else happens because that's all that matters. Easier said than done. This was God's priority in the Bible, is it not? Did not is not the theme of Scripture the gospel? Is there not, nothing, I would say and argue, is more central to the word of God than the person of and works of Jesus Christ? Although there are many themes and subjects in the Bible, the only thing that it all really points to is Jesus Christ. Wasn't this the priority of Jesus and the gospel? Did not Jesus come from creation to a cradle, to a cross, to a crown, back to heaven and to come again all to provide salvation for you and me? Isn't this the priority that Paul not only talks about here but clearly demonstrated in his life? The the fact is Paul literally gave his life in death so that people could hear about the gospel. So the question that we want to ask ourselves this morning is what about us? Is the gospel that big of a deal to you? Is the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ such a big deal to you? That you would let it captivate your life? You would let it consume your life? You would let it affect your finances? It would lead you to enormous sacrifice. It may actually lead you to go to another nation where that name is not heard to proclaim it. Because in your estimation, nothing else matters more than the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to believe that, don't you? I want to live that. I want to reflect that. And we're going to learn this morning how we can do that. The first thing that you see in our text is that Paul's prison leads him to preach Christ Paul's prison leads him to preach Christ. Notice verse number 13. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Isn't this amazing? When Paul talks about the the gospel advancing, he is literally talking about advancing into the the palace guard, soldiers, people who are monitoring him 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, people that are responsible to look after him, to make sure he is there, that maybe care for him in some way. But think about it. If Paul did not go to prison, how would he have been able to preach the gospel to people that are prison guards in Rome? Answer, he would have never got to them. So here's what Paul's saying. Because I went to prison, I'm not writing to you to ask necessarily that I am released. I'm not trying to get an ease of my circumstances. God has allowed me To preach the gospel to an elite force in the Roman army that has been assigned to the most critical prisoners in the entire government. And so, this prison, watch this, gave the Apostle Paul contact with lost people that he would have not previously had contact with. Someone has once said that. These shifts changed every six hours, 24 hours a day. And I quote, can you imagine being chained up beside a man who prayed without ceasing? Can you imagine being chained up beside a man who was constantly interviewing guests about their spiritual condition? He was repeatedly writing letters to Christians and churches throughout the Roman Empire. I mean, literally, every word on the man's lips had to do with Jesus and Jesus alone. If you were happened to be a soldier assigned to the Apostle Paul, I am telling you, you were not going to have a choice in the matter. You were going to hear about Jesus and here's what he says thank you Lord for letting me go to jail because when I went to jail somebody heard about Jesus that wouldn't have heard about him before I like that don't you Don't you want to spend your life? Don't you want to spend your time? Don't you want to spend your resources and your energy using whatever circumstances God has allowed you to be in or to not be in to further the name of Jesus Christ both in Jacksonville and around the world? This was the spirit of the Apostle Paul. The second thing that happened when Paul began to minister like this is that the prison led Paul to inspire other believers. Look, if you will, verse number 14. And most of the brethren in the Lord having become confident by my chains, watch this now, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Seeing Paul face adversity and continue to preach Christ, see Paul not lose his joy, not lose his focus, not lose his mission, but press on in the face of some of the most difficult circumstances a man could face, what did it do? It created in other people... A boldness and a greater desire to witness for Christ from where they were. Many of them no doubt would have shrunk back from preaching knowing uh, that the difficulty could have been presented them. But seeing that there was another brother who was willing to sell out, give it all, preach the gospel. They were going To preach with greater boldness. You know what? At the end of the day, folks, when people sell all out to Christ, when people give their lives to Jesus to preach the gospel, it is inspirational. Angie and I have been reading a couple books in the last few weeks, and I said this to my class earlier. One of them uh, was quite literally earth-shattering for us. The title of the book is How to Raise Grateful Children in an Entitled World. Do not read it unless you are ready for your life to change. Until then, carry on. In the book which speaks of a suburban mother with young children with the nice house and the nice cars and the nice stuff and everything attached to it and their little children with their matching bows and all these kinds of things. They, she said, she went on a mission trip to Kenya, and in Kenya, she was uh, at a place where uh, uh, an orphanage was, and she met a boy. I believe the boy's name was Ralph, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. He was a teenager. He's 14 years old. He's he's in this orphanage. He has nothing. In fact, not only is he in the orphanage, he's also got his younger brother in the orphanage whom he has been raising since the boy was a kid because his parents died. So he's a 14-year-old boy, not going to private school, not being coddled by American culture. Somebody help me up here. Not being, not being uh, given everything in the world he's ever wanted and dreamed of. He's a kid in Africa, no parents. But he's filled with joy. And she asked him the question... Why are you so happy with everything that you have going in your life? And this is what he did. He looked up from her with a big giant smile and said, I have Jesus and he is enough. To which she humbly was shattered inside and said, the sad reality is this, I also have Jesus but he is not enough for me. And so her entire world was completely shattered and rearranged and she started a nonprofit and she completely rearranged their lifestyle here in the United States of America and this book is the direct result of that conversation that she had in Kenya. I'm telling you, isn't it amazing what happens when you encounter someone that does something extraordinary whose life has been transformed in an extraordinary way? Doesn't it isn't it true that sometimes That rubs off on you in in such a way that the the very course of the future of your life is transformed? I remember being in the Boston Logan International Airport and there was a statue of Dick and Ricky Hoyt. Ricky was born in 1962 as a result of oxygen deprivation. Uh, uh, He 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 had a, a, a severe brain disorder at his birth. He was a quadriplegic, with cerebral palsy, unable to walk unable to speak. He had been that way for years. In 1977, when Ricky was 15 years old, his dad decided to run in a five-mile benefit run for another athlete who had become paralyzed. In that particular race, Dick pushed his son in a running stroller. By this time, Ricky had learned how to communicate through... Uh, blowing air into a computer screen at various ways and producing uh, a language on a screen. He told his dad after that particular event, Dad, that made me feel like I was running through you. It made me happy. It gave me purpose. From 1977 on, they completed 1,000 races together. They completed multiple marathons and triathlons. They actually completed, get this together, six Ironman competitions, which is swimming, biking, and running. In the swimming portion, the dad literally ties his son onto his back in a boat and swims three miles with his kid, jumps off of, out of the lake and jumps onto a bicycle and throws his son into a seat on the front of the bike and rides 100 miles with his son and then gets out of that and runs a marathon after that, pushing his son in a stroller. I'm telling you what. I've never been so moved in all my life, watching their YouTube video, seeing the statue and the airport, just overwhelmed by this man's love for his son. And some of you may be saying, well, a, what's the big deal? Just a, just a bike, just a, it's just a, you know, just a, I, I said, well, what's that got to do with anything? Listen, I'd rather be somebody that does something for anything than somebody that does nothing about anything. And here we find ourselves as Christians completely paralyzed on the sidelines, not just not achieving great things, frankly, many people just not achieving anything, just not trying anything, just not daring anything, just not risking anything, just not sacrificing anything while the world dies and goes to hell without Jesus Christ. This work that Paul did was an inspiration to those men around him. But the third thing that happened is Paul's ministry exposed counterfeits. And I'm going to blow through this real quick, but it's in verses 15 and following where Paul says this. Some, in fact, or indeed, preach Christ even of envy and strife, some also of goodwill. In other words, some people are out there preaching Christ uh, for wrong motives and some people for good motives. And then he explains himself. The former, or the bad motive people, preach Jesus because they are wanting to, uh, for selfish ambition. They're not doing it sincerely, or they're doing it to get at me. Hard to believe that everybody who preaches the gospel is not doing it for the right reason. But then look at this. The latter, they do it because of love, which is the only correct motivation to preach the gospel. But I want you to fix your eyes on the last verse of this section, verse number 18. And this, every Baptist in America needs to hear this verse. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this, I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Isn't that extraordinary? Paul says, my my ministry has exposed people. It showed that some people weren't in it for the right reasons, and some people were in it for the right reasons. Either way, it exposed it. And Paul goes on to say, you know what? At the end of the day, I don't care who does it for what reason. As long as Jesus is being preached, I can rejoice in this. You know what? I got to tell you, friend, so many of our churches that are conservative in theology spend more time critiquing all the ins and outs and details of everybody. Friends, I got some news for you today. There's really only one thing at the end of the day that matters, and that's this. Jesus Christ, his life come on his death his burial and his resurrection and as long as that name is being preached we ought to be real glad about that regardless of where it comes from but it's amazing when people aren't focused on the gospel it's amazing what kind of things they can get focused on and it just shows you where your heart really is and so will what we're going to try to do in the next several months of river city baptist church i have been arrested by this text. That phrase, the gospel. Particularly, advance the gospel regardless of what else is going on. Meaning, advancing the gospel of Jesus is to be the priority of every Christian in every church. Would somebody like to agree with me on that, please? That's right there. Now I would like to present to you that this is something that has arrested me so greatly. I'm going to present now how I believe this truth is going to radically transform our church. I want to introduce to you, first of all, the commitments that are in your seats are the ways in which we do missions right now. If your background is independent Baptist, that's your background, those are the kinds of churches that you've been involved with for your life, this is not abnormal to you. You're used to this. You're used to once a year making a commitment, and that commitment actually decides what you do for missions over the course of one year. Sometimes they call it faith promise. Sometimes they call it grace giving. That's been the history of our church. We've done that every year. This will be the sixth year since I've been here that we have done this, okay? It's, and it's, it's standard. Typically what happens is some people decide to make commitments, and some people don't. And some people make commitments that are aggressive and they don't come in. But nonetheless, I'm thankful that it's given us the opportunity to support missions as as so far. And the truth is, because it's been cultural for the last six years, I cannot stop it hard and fast. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to introduce a new initiative called the Advance the Gospel Initiative. The Advance the Gospel Initiative. Here's what the initiative is. Over the next five years at River City Baptist Church, we're going to change the culture of the church from making commitments to missions to giving a large percentage of all receipts in the church to missions without even need to make commitments. So let's say you're here right now for the last six years. You've made commitments. What are you, what are you supposed to do? Keep doing what you do. Okay? I believe that 10% is training wheels of Christian giving what we call tithing, that's training wheels, that's baby steps, that's what people do when they're first starting to understand generosity and giving, okay, and and you need to do that, if you're not doing that yet, please do that, I'll talk about that in just a minute, but then sometimes we've reserved this idea of great commission giving or gospel giving or missions giving is like reserved for people who are really all in. And therefore, you find churches, watch this, proportionately giving very little of their resources to preach the gospel around the world. Do you want to know what the average is in the United States of America? The average per per church giving is less than 10%. Meaning, you go to the average church out there, and the money that you give to the offering, regardless of what it's designated for, less than 10% of that money goes to preach the gospel around the globe to missionaries. Okay? Or even to evangelism in the local community. At our church right now, it is 15%, 85% operations, 15% uh, uh, missions giving, and predominantly it's because we've operated on these commitments. So here is the bold initiative of River City Baptist Church based upon this text. I cannot live with myself, church, to say that I believe that the most important thing is preaching the gospel around the globe, and yet... Only 15% of our resources reflect that. So over the next five years, we're going to increase the amount of giving toward missions from 15% to 50%. Which means 50 cents on every dollar that you give to the church is going for preaching the gospel around the globe. Whether you are tithing... Whether you're giving more than your tithe, doesn't matter. It's all going to go 50 cents on a dollar to preach the gospel in Jacksonville and around the world. You say, why in the world would we go away from commitments and go to a percentage like this? I want to give you six reasons. I'm going to blow through these real quick. you got to listen and hang on. Why would we go from commitments to percentage? Answer number one, because the entire church will participate in the support of missions. The entire church will participate in the support of missions. It is no longer something that is only accomplished through the efforts of those who decide to make an extra commitment. Listen, folks, missions is not a commitment that we make. Missions is what we do. I am no longer going to ask you if you are interested in supporting missions. I am telling you, we are going to support missions. Isn't it crazy to think? That there are people that sit in this room right now, and maybe for years, you have given no money to worldwide evangelism. As if we have a choice. As if we can say, yeah, if people die and go to hell in Haiti or Africa or India, whatever. Well, the good news is now we don't have to think about it. Because it will already be committed from our church. Number two, mission's emphasis should not be reduced to a day, a week, a month in a year. It should be the regular emphasis as we are presented with needs, as we are given opportunities to minister, and as we engage in evangelism regularly through the work of our church. I don't want to just bring up missions once a year. I want to bring up missions 52 weeks a year as we gather at the church because isn't that why we're here? Number three, here's the third big reason. Commitments tend to wane over time. Commitments tend to wane over time. I mean, how many of us said last year we're going to give $300 a month only to find that things change, like economic downturns. And what do you have to do when times turn rough economically? Typically, you stop giving to missions. For example, in May of 2021, our church gave $7,800 to missions. In January of 2022, we gave $3,400 to missions. Because we say we're going to do it and then we don't for all kinds of reasons it may be somebody that doesn't go to church here anymore somebody was sent to a mission endeavor somebody that went to another church for another reason that mission's money is being given somewhere else and that's fine but here it wanes in time in fact when i pulled up the numbers this morning from this month it's not good it's like 2500 and today is march 27th It wanes. Number four, we do not want to wait to onboard new members to a missions program. Think about it. How many of you? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. How many of you have been coming to River City Baptist Church since last year sometime? Many of you. A lot of you, actually. And I don't want to wait for new members to be able to give and participate in the ministry of the Great Commission. So as new members come into the church, we will be telling them as we orient them to the church that this is how their money continues to serve the purposes of the Great Commission. Number five, as the church continues to grow financially, we will keep our commitment to missions proportionately consistent. I want you all to listen to something that I'm going to tell you, and you can mark my words, and I will take it to my grave I do not care I love to see this church filling up I'm thankful for how things are going I bless his name for everything that he's doing but I do not care if this church runs 1,000 or 1,500 people I am not spending millions of dollars on a building when people are dying and going to hell so if I have to have five services on Sunday well we'll just have five services on Sunday I like preaching anyways amen and I think it's crazy to take proportionate blessings that God gives us and do anything but proportionately bless missions. Number six, and I think this is important. Number six missions is not a program. We act like it's a program, like it's like, yeah, I support this and I also support, you know, Salvation Army and I get behind this. No, missions is not a program, missions is what we do. So we gotta put our money where our mouth is. Now I'm going to give you ten things that we're going to do with the increase of giving over the five years and beyond. What are we going to do with this money? Well, I'm glad you asked because I've got some goals in mind. Here they come. Number one, we want to invest more into local community outreach. The Bible says we are to preach the gospel in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. Are you listening to me? I'm not just people getting saved in Africa. I'm interested in people getting saved in three, two, two, one, one. I'm interested in people right here in this neighborhood coming to Christ like these six guys right here. These six guys that Asante brought to church and uh, Quan and Tavon, Marley, Ashton, Elijah, and Jonathan. Just the other night, all six of them bowed their head and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior in our gymnasium. And we're praying for them and we're working on baptism with them, but there's a whole lot more like them out. it. Did you know, in fact, that 48%? Arlington of Jacksonville, this area of Jacksonville, are under the age of 18. Did you know that? The median age in our community is 40. We're 51% white. We're over 30% African American. And now the fastest growing community in our area is Hispanic. And you know what I love? To Look around here. I see black. I see white. I see Hispanic. I see Asian. That's the way it's supposed to be. What are we going to do? We're going to preach the gospel. We are launching discipled veterans for the large community of veterans in Jacksonville uh, that live here. We're launching Sidewalk Funday School in April. We're going to public schools to preach the gospel. We're resurrecting our public school outreach. We're investing more in Asante back there and the ministry of basketball and using the gymnasium that God give, gave us not to cater to Christians but to reach people that don't know Christ. Number two, we're going to invest into planting churches in the Florida's first coast. Currently, we're actively praying right now about a new church that we will plant in Penny Farms, Florida. In the next five years, Penny Farms will grow from a community that basically doesn't exist to a community of nearly 300,000 people. In the next five to ten years, I drove through streets that are lined with trees where there will be thousands and thousands and thousands of homes. And the state of Florida has targeted that area as the fastest growing area in the state of Florida. And there is no church there. And we're going to have a church there so that when everybody's shows up, somebody's already there preaching the gospel. Number three, we're going to invest in revitalizing churches through strategic partnerships. Currently, we have sent three pastors out of our church. Right now, one in Ohio, two in Ohio, excuse me, one in Indiana, and Justin and Erica, who I just saw here earlier, are going. This next Sunday is their first Sunday at Grace Baptist Church in Fort Valley, Georgia, a church that is dying, a church that is struggling. Guess what? They need our help, folks. They're going to need our financial help, they're going to need our prayer help, and we have more churches than ever that are closing their doors. Eight out of ten churches in America are dying. There's a church on every street corner of Jacksonville, excuse me, there's a building on every street corner in Jacksonville. We need to do something about it. Number four, we're going to invest in training future leaders who will become pastors or missionaries. I'm looking forward to the day when our teenagers are raising up and they are surrendering their lives to the call of God on their lives. And guess what? Somebody's got to train them. And that's our responsibility. And there will be schools that we will help them go to. And then there will be mission boards, convention that we are a part of that will help send them out to proclaim Jesus. Somebody has got to train the next generation of our kids and our students in our church. And I'm praying for them, many of them, my own children included, that God will raise them up to take the gospel Number five, we are going to take on more missionaries for regular support, missionaries that are not fully funded, missionary projects that are not fully funded. We're going to give money away to people that need money. Number six, we're going to take on approved strategic missionary projects. I'm working right now with Cliff Davis and we're forming a missions committee while I'm speaking right now. We're putting together an onboarding form where people will come and if they're interested or need partnerships, they'll have a form that they'll fill out. We're not just giving money away arbitrarily. I'm talking about strategic missionary projects. I'm talking about planning churches, rescuing souls, building orphanages, places that we don't know about, people that we don't know about. But because we are positioning ourselves correctly, we'll be able to give more. Number seven, we're going to bless missionaries. That's all I want to say about that. We're just going to bless missionaries. My soul, these people need help. They need love. They need attention. They need somebody to show them that what they're doing matters. And I'm thankful to give a little extra money to somebody that's packed their life up in a minivan and drug their poor kids halfway around the world begging churches for money. I think it's a good thing to just say, you know what? We appreciate you and here, here's some money to help you along. Take your wife out to dinner for crying out loud. Take a break and take it on us. Number next, eight, we're going to supply a room for missionary guests. This is going to cost $2,000. Justin and Eric are moving out this Friday, and they're moving on to Georgia, and we're going to take that apartment, and we're going to repurpose it. We're going to redesign it. We're going to redecorate it, and we have the whole thing mapped out. It's $2,000. I think we're going to start that tomorrow. We're going to next assist our church members in taking short-term missions trips. In 2023, in the month of July, we're taking a River City Go trip to Paraguay, South America. We just got it booked again, and we couldn't go this year because of COVID, but things are loosening up there. And if all things continue to go the way they go, we are going to get to go next year. It's going to be an expensive trip. We have to fly all the way to South, South America. But you know what? As a church, we can help each other go. I want our kids to go. I want our teenagers to go. I want our adults to go. We're going to start raising money and saving money even this summer as we work toward 2023. And this next one, and finally, I'm super excited about, we're going to start a Spanish church at River City Baptist Church. Right now, there are, uh, the increase of Hispanics in our area is going to be 21% between 2020 and 2025. Two years from right now, there will be almost 30,000 Hispanics that live within just about walking distance to our church. Guess what? We have an auditorium. We have chairs. We have a sound system. We have screens. We have projectors. We got room. There's no Spanish church that I'm aware of in this area preaching the gospel that's Baptist and, and focused on good doctrine. That I'm aware. Of. They're probably there, but I don't know of them. And we're going we're to use our facility. We're going to call a preacher here to help us do that. And we're going to start a Spanish church right here in our backyard. And if I had the right guy, I'd start it tomorrow. These are the initiatives that we are going to approach with the excess money that God is going to give us. So, how are we going to accomplish this? There's two ways in which we're going to accomplish this. Listen very carefully. You need to hear me say this. Number one, I have a part. And number two, you have a part. My part is leading this church in transparency and accountability. I have a meeting every month, first Sunday of the month, with all of our deacons, all of our pastors, all of our elders in training, all of our lay leaders, all of our department heads, where we go over financial statements. There's not a leader in this church that doesn't know the financial statements, doesn't know what's going on. And every penny of the money that we spend will be accounted for in this way through a group of leaders. It's called transparency. It's called accountability. I'm looking forward to the day where we're not scraping to get by but where we're having millions of dollars coming into this church. It will happen. And when it does, we will need a team of people around us that provide transparency and accountability so that we all know that money is actually going to the mission field. Yeah. Number two, you have a part. You want to know what your part is? Give. Amen. That's your part. Give. Our church has 270 members and regular tenders. 270. Children all the way to the oldest adult. In the month of February, guess how many of you gave? 65. Everybody okay? In the month of March, today's the 27th, 54. Fifty-four of you have given in the month of March. Anybody else feel that? Anybody else feel that? I want to say something. I'm not afraid to be bold, but I, I'm going to just say what I need to say. If you cannot give to River City Baptist Church, you should find a church that you can give to. Seriously. Because it's not for me, it's for you. Because if you're not giving, you're missing out on God's basic blessing of your life. You rob God and you lose a blessing. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10. Will a man rob God? If you don't give to the Lord, you rob God. Period. If you don't give and you say, well, I I just don't like, I'm just not sure about what's going on there. That's fine. We all want you to be happy. So go somewhere where you can give. Because if you don't, you're missing out on a blessing. And and the gospel is missing out on resources. Look, I understand, guys. There's some tough stuff going on. Middle class people, which makes up a lot of our congregation, I get it. Things are tough. There's been some downturn for a lot of people. I, I understand. I get it. But before I would stop giving to Christ, I'd go drive Uber, or I'd go deliver Domino's, or I'd do something, anything. Would you let your family starve? Would you let your family starve if you had an economic downturn? No way. What would you do? You'd scrap for every penny you could get. I hope you would. I hope you'd get out there and roll up your sleeves and fight for it. What I'm saying is, I think preaching the gospel around the world is just as important as feeding my family. And I'm going to do both. And if I can't do both, then I'm going to find a way so I can do both. I read in that book, back to that book real quick, and I'm almost done. That family that wrote that book, once a week, they eat beans and rice only. For two reasons: one, to save money to give more; two, so their whole family can know what most of the world eats every day. I'll spend more money on lunch today than most of the world makes in a whole year. Just think about it. So, if we're gonna do this, it's a pretty cool vision, I think. You ever been to a church that gets 50 cents on every dollar to missions? I've shared it with a few people. I I know of nobody that's even heard of it. You say, where'd you come up with it? I don't know. I guess God just gave it to me. But in order for it to happen, you have to give and we have to do it right. Transparency, accountability, and sacrifice. So I'm asking you as we close this service about two things. Number one, make a commitment. This year we have to because we're not ready for that yet. In order to just maintain what we're doing right now, we have to continue to give commitments until proportionately this turns. So we need your commitments this year. If you already give the missions, great. Tell us what you give. Your name's not on it, okay. I know it would be so radical to hold people accountable, but (laughs) can you give something? Can you give $100 a month? Can you give $10 a month? Can you give $5 a month? Can you give $1,000 a month? Well, you're going to have to tell us. So you say, I'm going to give X amount of dollars a month and give us a total. If you need a calculator, come see me, I'll help you. And just drop it in the box on your way out. As I close, you may be wondering, this is crazy. I see a lot of new faces here, and it's so good to have you. I've met most of you. We rejoice in you being here but I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't tell you this. You say, why is this such a big deal? Listen very carefully. Jesus Christ died to save sinners. He loves you. He gave his only son for you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, Christ demonstrated his love to you by sending his son Jesus to die for you. Without Christ... You will remain separated from God and eternally sent to a terrible place called hell because of crimes you've committed against God. But in Jesus, there is full and free forgiveness of sins, placement into the family of God, and eternal life in heaven to be one, not through your efforts, but through what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. If you've never accepted him as your Savior, please listen very carefully. Open up your heart today like the front door of your house and welcome Jesus to be your Savior. He will not cast you away. He will not turn you aside. If you are not his child today, you can be one in five minutes and it will be the greatest day of your life. Let's pray together.